0: phone check one two what is this It's the five foot seven assassin in the podcast business and we're back with another episode of QLC TV my name is Rohan and I'm the host of this lovely show where I aim to give you authentic insight into the world of music which will be a primary focus as it's my absolute utmost passion in the world I just love music I'll also be talking about politics as the other key focus as well as some culture sports sprinkled in as well as topics about growing into adulthood and personal development as all of this is delivered from the perspective of a 25 year old Indian man living in Canada trying to make sense of not only myself but of the world so all in all I thank you so much for listening and taking part in this creative journey that I'm embarking on with QLC TV and I just hope that this platform will not only give myself but give those listening something nice to look forward to when they wake up in the morning because if i achieved that then i've succeeded hey everyone welcome to qlc tv episode 14. i got a great episode for you guys today here on a great nice sunny october 10th in the nation's capital in canada i'm gonna be leading with the new 21 savage metro Boomin savage mode 2 record I'll give you my thoughts on, on how I felt about that record. Then I'll be moving on to a couple underground rap notable records from West Side Gun, his Shady Debut, and a rapper Willie the Kid's Capital Gains record that I thought was really interesting. And then lastly, I'm going to end it off by quickly touching on the VP debate in the United States between Kamala Harris and Mike Pence. So leading with this new Savage Mode 2 record. I was, I was really interested to hear where they would go with this record. Because 21 Savage is a pretty interesting rapper for me. He's infamously now known to be born in the UK. But really made a name for himself in Atlanta. In that southern trap sound that had been blowing up ever since... 2014 2015 and Metro Boomin also made a name for himself uh, in Atlanta with around that time a little earlier he had worked with future and another couple trap music stalwarts and these are two of the biggest names in the genre right now. And for me 21 when he came out with his debut collaboration with Metro Savage Mode one in 2016. I I was really intrigued by him. I didn't really honestly love that project at all. I didn't even really like it all that much. I thought it had some good moments, but for the most part, it was just too monotonous. You know, 21's rapping was almost comically monotone. It was, he was almost comically disinterested in rapping. I mean, that was the sound. That was his vibe. It was like this cold-hearted... Menace kind of vibe that he would give off and it and it worked on some tracks There was maybe two three that I took away from that uh, Project being really impressed by really wanted to spin again and again But for the most part the project as a whole was pretty boring. I couldn't deal with that for a whole full-length project So his deadpan delivery has never left him but over the past few years particularly without warning which was a interesting project with offset and metro as a group i thought that was actually the first time i remember being like i really am enjoying 21 savage here i thought all of his verses there he pretty much killed for the most part and his deadpan delivery was starting to become a strength and not just a monotonous boring part of a song it he was being more clever with it he was it was more funny at times it was it was more entertaining and He's becoming more of a capable rapper when it comes to some of the lyricism, some of the bars that he would put forward. And he was also starting to show some growth as a rapper and as an artist in terms of the range of topics he would cover, as well as sonically as well, on his last full-length project, I Am Greater Than I Was, which again, I, I think overall I didn't love. It was There was too much filler at times, but... There was a couple standout tracks, and there was more standout tracks than I expected, particularly the track with J. Cole, a lot. So I was really excited for this project. I really loved the cover. The album cover was super cool, so I was really excited to put this on. I, I actually spun this as soon as it dropped on the Friday. I was staying up a little late that day, and it was about 12, 15, 12, 30. I went and put that on just before bed, And that was an absolutely big mistake. I was too hyped to go to bed. Because the first thing you hear is Morgan Freeman out of all people. Morgan Freeman's soothing voice who ends up acting as the album's narrator throughout. Giving this really ominous uh, feeling to the beginning of the project. And he added so much cinematic feel throughout to this project that I thought was a really really nice touch. So after it gets past the intro. There's this really beautiful haunting vocal sample that leads into the first track, Runnin'. And oh my god, that song is amazing. Probably my favorite track on the whole project. Just the way it starts from the vocal sample to when the beat drops, 21 is floating. He's absolutely floating on that track. And and this song also shows what would be a commonality throughout the whole project, which is that the cohesion was very strong throughout. The way Metro kind of sequenced the album, the way he set up the transitions, it makes it flow very much like a DJ mix. The production as a whole really complemented his style because they allow for his delivery to shine. Man, he his flows and the beats, they just meshed the best they ever have on a 21 project. He just fe- feels at home on all of these beats. You know, the tracks sliding, running as I mentioned, no ops left behind, Show this off especially well. Showing that 21 isn't the same rapper that he was when he dropped Savage Mode 1, where it was very much a one-note, monotonous delivery. I mean, his deadpan delivery is still there, but at times he actually adds some inflections to kind of add some variety but then also his tempos are actually quite different on a lot of these tracks you'll he'll, he'll go into a double time flow or he'll slow it down more and it just makes these songs pop like no other time i can remember listening to a 21 savage album he is clearly a much more capable rapper now and I think he's very underrated even before this project, but especially now because his lyrics have slowly but surely gotten more quotable uh, as time has passed. Like he has this line on the final track, said and done, where he says, I wear long sleeves, but I still bear arms. Like nothing out of this world, abstract, uh, multi-layered, but they're, they're clever. There's quite a few of these little clever lines throughout the project that just, add to my interest he's also rocking different rhyme schemes which is something i can honestly never remember him doing at times he actually switches that up and even when he's just being very much one-dimensional in terms of the subject matter or making a song that's very surface level like the drake track it actually comes off well i think drake's presence on the project was pretty good too and It shows off that even a track that's all about just having sex with different women, they still added in a little lyrical motif, I guess you can call it, where they kind of start their verses about what famous R&B singer's music they're having sex with the, the women to. It's just a funny touch and shows off the level of lyrical focus on this project too. So now back to the subject matter point, I think more than any project as well, he's displaying more range too and making the project more dynamic than any other project I can remember from him. On the way this album ends, it ends with R.I.P. Love and Said and Done. These are introspective tracks. R.I.P. Love's basically talking about how he he feels like love and romance is just, just not meant for him. I think it comes off nice over the really dreamy, soft production. And then Said and Done... Is very introspective, talking about where he was in the past, how he got to, to where he is now. I I I wish he did a little more of that. To be fair, I think that is still a, a clear drawback for me for this project. But that's always kind of been my preference in music. I always like more introspection than not. So this brand of music that's very uh, aggressive, very much talking about. The trap, Street Life, etc. It has tends to have a more lower ceiling for me than most other kinds of music. But that's par for the course. So I don't think this is necessarily something they're they they missed on because I don't think they were trying to make a, a necessarily very introspective album. But I would have preferred maybe a couple more tracks like the final two to spice up the track list a bit more. But overall, I feel like Savage Mode 2 is the best distillation of his cutthroat style mixed in with some more maturity. Like, I feel like this is the most mature version of 21 Savage that we've seen, which makes this one of the most surprisingly good albums I've heard in recent memory. I can't really think of a project that has completely surprised me like Savage Mode 2 did. And I have to thank some of this this maturity that we've seen from 21. I have to thank Amber Rose. For those who don't know Amber Rose, she was a, a video girl. I think she was a stripper or some kind of thing like that. She got famous for dating Kanye right around the time of 2009 to 2010. And she has this thing called the slut walk, which is like this women empowerment thing to taking control of your sexuality and basically it's like a feminist thing just to just to be very basic with it just to say that 21 Savage while he was dating Amber Rose he actually I remember him saying in a couple interviews that he's learned a lot from her and that he actually attended the slut walk and it wasn't something ironic he actually believed in the message and and since then there's also been other interviews I've seen with him where he's very much clearly mature in terms of his affinity for materialism because he's now all about not really buying a lot of pointless cars, jewelry, and things like that. And he's he's trying to work with his community and to be a better influence, to be better with saving money and investing. So it's nice to see the evidence of that growth show up in the music. And it's overall nice to see a rapper in this trap rap lane display this growth and maturity as well. So, you know, moving to the production now, now we have to talk about Metro's contribution to this project. I would definitely say that I'm a fan of Metro's production. I think he's delivered countless great beats throughout his career, but I found that maybe it was a symptom of the rappers that he would tend to collaborate with, who always tended to be, like, trap rappers. I find his his production style left some room to be desired when it comes to the variety to it. I think he had that very bassy trap feel that he's exhibited on countless projects, most notably Future's Dirty Sprite 2. But I think he's always had the capability to do more with his sound, to do different things. You see it on Father Stretch My Hands uh, Part 1 on Kanye's Life of Pablo. You also see it in Metro's collaborations with the UK electronic artist James Blake on that 2019 project Assume Form where Metro blended into that electronic art pop world. And then also you see it in Metro's beats for the latest Weekend album After Hours where he was able to make beats that had a hip-hop feel but still fit snugly in an alternative R&B synth-pop album. So although you haven't seen it in his career in a large scale, you see the flexibility he has to be able to incorporate different sounds into his style. He has the ability to sample. He has the ability to incorporate soul and softer elements to his production that isn't always super aggressive and in your face. And so like I always wished he did more of that. And I think on this project, he does a good job of mixing the two worlds. There's still some very hard, aggressive beats. Brand New Draco is an amazing example of this, where there's just different variety even in the bass that kind of adds some further dynamics to the, the song. And it's just a behemoth. It's such a thick beat. It's so layered. And I think overall through this project, He layered sounds so much more intricately than he ever had in the past And I think it adds sort of like a sophistication to the music as well I love the vocal sample on Runnin' Such a beautiful touch to the song The glistening keys on Rich Shit with with Young Thug Uh, The violins at the beginning and end Make the song sound so exquisite, just so fitting for a song that has that title. The waviness of R.I.P. Love is is really nice. The melody on many men. It's haunting. It's ominous. It's beautifully melancholic. It's one of the best songs here. And it sounds very horror movie-esque. Very suspenseful. Which is a clear pattern throughout the project that they're incorporating more of that horror movie vibe to the instrumentals. With these creepy melodic keys. Uh, on this track as well, which which is an ode also to the '90s Memphis Southern rap of a of artists like uh, 36 Mafia, that group that pioneered that sound, and this ode to this Southern rap classic sound is is further evidenced by that album cover that they have for this project, which is an ode to groups like No Limit, uh, that would always have that very cheesy kind of uh, kind of album art that I think was just a really nice homage. So overall I think the production w- was was great. It was really great. I think this is Metro's best produced project, not just in the actual beats, but also in terms of how he sequenced the album and crafted it and crafted the transitions. I think that was what brought this project to another level. Look no further than how this album ends where you have No Op Left Behind which is still more similar to the rest of the album. It's a little harder but there's still some softer elements. Then it gets to R.I.P. Love which is very soft and then it ends with Said and Done which is just this kind of bouncy soulful groove. So without that sequencing these songs may have kind of disrupted the flow and momentum of the previous tracks but putting them all together it kind of eased you in from Brand New Draco, which is the track before No Op Left Behind, that's so, so aggressive, to kind of easing your way into the final softer moments that end the album off. It's this attention to detail with the sequencing that makes this album run like a well-oiled machine. It's what brings this album from just a set of songs, a playlist, to actually feeling like a real complete artistic statement. For me the critiques are, are are not very significant for this project. I would say that there's a couple tracks like Steppin which was a I, I like the homage to that old school throwback sound but I think it didn't fit with the rest of the project. I think that's the one song that kind of contradicts my earlier point of how great it flows. I think that's just the one song that throws off the flow a bit. And I don't think it fit 21's style all that well. And overall, it just came off a little too goofy and light. And in general, for an album that is aiming to be obviously chopped full of bangers, the hooks on some of these songs were a bit lackluster. And I wish they were more well written like some of the other hooks on this on this album that I think come off really well like Rich Shit and Said and Done and again I I just do wish they incorporated a couple more introspective tracks that I think could have really brought this project to another level so to conclude I can honestly say that this album Savage Mode 2 is the best Trap album I've heard in a long time. I'd say this is up there with Future's best work like 56 Nights and Monster. And I'd also say that this this project serves as the exclamation point to the thought that Metro is the best modern trap producer of our generation. Better than Zaytovin, better than Michael Made It, or anybody else that you could think of. Metro's catalog is vast, and I think this project just further adds to that diversity of sound, proving that he can really make whatever kind of beat he wants. He can make a soulful father stretch my hands. He can make an absolute menacing banger like brand new Draco, or he can add some exquisite touches and make a musically decadent track like Rich Shit. So I really have to say that I was pretty blown away listening to this project. For me, it's one of the best albums of the year, and that's coming from someone who genuinely doesn't really prefer trap music like that. My final score, view certified rating for this album, is a 7.8 on 10. Obviously, if you like trap music, this album is an absolute must listen but even if you don't I think there's enough elements to this project that could even draw in a listener that doesn't traditionally go for this kind of music so check this out so next I'm going to move on to this new west side gun project titled who made the sunshine west side is one of the most prolific rappers in hip-hop right now He drops projects super often and has really kind of blown up over the past couple years along with his crew Griselda from Buffalo, New York that have really revived that grimy, dusty hip-hop sound. And I've listened to both of his other projects that he's released this year in particular pray for paris which was a really great project that is in my top 10 top 15 right now of the year and then his fly god is an awesome god too which i i did think was kind of a lazier effort it had some nice production like all of his albums do but didn't really make much of an impact on me i heard it a couple times and i already knew what i knew what the album was about and i didn't need to hear more It seemed like he was on autopilot on that album and I was hoping this Who Made the Sunshine being his Shady Records debut album, I thought he was going to add another level of detail, another level of attention and focus to make this project sound more inspired. He had hyped this album up as being a mix of Supreme Bliantel, which was a project from 2018 that was the first project of his that really... Made me a real big fan. And I think that's his best project to date. Which is a very. Still dusty but very luxurious. And decadent at the same time. Had an amazing production. Credits list. And then uh, it was a mix he said. Of that project and Fly God. Which was his project that really put him on the map. In 2016. That was a great project. A little more dusty. A little more lo-fi. A little more raw but still very uh, diverse in the sounds. And it was a really great project too. So, you know, I was obviously looking forward to this project, but for some reason, I can't really put my, my finger on it and I'll explore maybe a reason why a little later. But I was excited to listen to this project, but I I don't think I was absolutely just dying to spin this. I actually went to the 21 Savage, uh, Savage Mode 2 project before listening to this. That Friday, I remember I only got to this project towards the end of the day. I listened to the new Willie the Kid project, which I'm going to review right after this. I listened to the 21 Savage album multiple times, and I was still bumping that Elzai project also that day. Like I, I, For some reason, I just didn't care to really get to this project. But obviously I did, eventually. And for an album that's 40 minutes long, which is definitely longer than some of the traditional Griselda projects that sometimes I have issues with being so short, I didn't really get much from this project. And I think the reason why is twofold here. I feel like his focus... And care for this project and definitely his previous project that I didn't really like earlier this year is just not at the level that it used to be. I feel like Pray for Paris was really a true, complete artistic statement from Westside. And I think ever since then, I, I, I I don't get the feeling that he really is all in on making music anymore. This is a guy that has said he's going to retire from rap after this year. He has said that on multiple occasions. Now, whether he does it or not is not really the point. The fact that he is already seeming to be at peace with staying away from music and just focusing on being kind of an AR, a record label manager, further diving into fashion. These are clear passions for him. And I just don't get the feeling that rapping is a clear passion for him anymore because for a a true studio debut album under a big label like shady records i don't get much from west side on this project i get much more from the the guest verses which are, are good but none really blow me away like guest verses tend to do on a Griselda project, particularly a Westside Gun project, who is notorious for being such a good collaborator and always can get the best out of his guest artists. So moving on to the other reason why I feel like I wasn't as excited to bump this and why I don't think it had much of an impact on me is because I feel like this this approach to making albums from Westside dropping projects so frequently has become saturated. This album just feels like a less memorable rendition of his previous great projects like Supreme Blind Tell or Fly God. This saturation of his style is really limiting my enjoyment of this new project because there's other better versions of him on other projects because I just would much rather listen to those other projects over this. This album isn't delivering anything unique or different than what those projects could give me, and the similar elements on those projects are simply better than they are on this one. Production-wise even, like, he's obviously picking great beats here. He always does it. But the beats are, again, just good, but better versions of these beats have existed on his other projects that I would much rather listen to. There's no beat on here that's like really drawing me in again like even beats on Pray for Paris just earlier this year did. It seems like his focus with this project was to kind of make it a victory lap and also give a platform and a spotlight to some of his underground lyricist friends. And I think that's certainly very commendable. There's a posse cut here at the end of the album that's seven minutes long as all these different rappers going over this beat. It's a good track. I, I appreciate the sentiment of really kind of sharing the spotlight with all of his fellow collaborators and friends that got him to this point. That's kind of the theme and the feel I get for this project. It's just a look where we are now. We made it. And that's great for him, but as a listener, it doesn't give me much. I wanted more of a distinct presence from the album's central figure, West Side Gun, but I just don't get it. Even if there's some nice guest verses, particularly Slick Rick, which was a really random thing to hear Slick Rick in 2020, but his both of his guest verses were great. That was a nice touch to get a legend on this project. But overall, I didn't get too much from this project. It's just good, solid Good solid music from West, but nothing more. And for that, I give it a 6.7 on 10. Now I'm going to move on to this new project from Willie the Kid, Capital Gains. So Willie the Kid is a Michigan rapper associated with great underground acts that I've spoken about many times now on this podcast, particularly Rock Marciano, The Alchemist, Action Bronson, and others. I've been following his work for a bit now, especially since he had a couple great guest features on Rock Marciano's 2019 project, Marcialago. Uh, I love his lyrical style, his flow. He's got a pretty unique voice too. I I, I I like his I like the vibe I get from his music. So I've listened to some of his earlier work, and I liked a lot of those projects, but none of them really made me really interested until this new project capital gains i feel like this project finally gives me a real artistic statement and i think this statement is really crystallized on the final track of this project which is basically serving as the mission statement for this album which is all about kind of promoting financial freedom in his community um and also just kind of like spreading knowledge found through his game that he learned from the streets, as well as how he's navigated through the industry. He talks about these businesses, owning his own uh, work, being an entrepreneur. It's further accentuated too by the skits that reinforce this idea nicely. And that kind of mature feeling is something that's very well illustrated through the production as well, which is really elegant, tasteful samples, really jazzy at times, nice percussion that adds some nice groove where necessary. It kind of has this nice upscale speakeasy music vibe to it. And man, as a rapper, this guy is just so impressive. He has these really cool metaphors and lyrical angles that incorporate this theme as well even when the subject matter isn't actually directly or literally about this theme. On the track Dirty Game, the hook is all about how all of the advice, the game that he's rapping about in the verses, even if they're not really about the subjects that I mentioned in the theme, he ties in the game that he's spitting, the game that he's talking about that he has, because the song's revolving around this woman, and he's just talking about her, so he's kind of mixing the game with the game in terms of knowledge and there's some money finance references here and there. It's this guy just is an incredible rapper. The internal rhyme schemes that he has throughout all these songs are so impressive. There's so many good one-liners too. And he has a dry sense of humor too that comes off well. Like there's this one one part where he's he's saying on Dirty Game that this girl met some like loser at Tanger Outlets. Like it was just such a weird line. But it's very Rock Marciano-esque the way that he's able to kind of paint this decadent yet grimy picture with some kind of dry humor mixed in here and there. So I'm not surprised that Rock really liked him and put him on a couple tracks on his last project. And I'm also not surprised that Rock is featured on this project along with Action Bronson, Currency, Edo, that really deliver really great verses that fit really well with the style of the album without overshadowing the main attraction. Egregious, the song is unbelievable. The flow is relentless. The beat is so haunting. It's so good. It's like definitely a standout for me. And jam-packed with with so many one-liners. And I don't remember if it's on this track or another where he says he had a glove in the box before COVID and... Man, that's a crazy line. That is a crazy line. Talking about how obviously he has a glove because he's about to do some criminal shit, you know. Overall, I I think his lyricism is just so top-notch. The beats are really, really well put together. And, you know, I still would have loved, again, just like the 21 Project, if you would have kind of mixed in some personal angles to these stories, it doesn't need to necessarily get emotional, but just kind of make me understand more about who Willie is as a person would have been nice. And as a project that's twenty five minutes only, I feel like the fact that the theme is sometimes loosely uh, referenced or loosely exhibited throughout the the lyrics. I think having this project be a little longer so that those loose references, built up to something a little more substantial when it was all said and done like I feel like this album would have been better if it was three or four tracks longer but still I really have not much to complain about other than that because this is a really nice surprise I'm really glad Willie finally dropped a project that I can fully get behind like this and I give this also a very strong rating of 7.7 on 10. Now I'm going to wrap up by talking about this vice president debate that occurred on October 7th, 2020. So Kamala Harris, the representative from the Democrats, and Mike Pence from the Republicans duped it out. So before getting into this, you know, as you'd expect listening to this show, my politics don't align with either of these people. I spoke about Kamala Harris at length in episode 6 of this show, and Mike Pence is a is a disgusting reptile. So yeah. My first takeaways that were really consistent throughout was that man Mike Pence Mike Pence lies just as much as Trump. Except there's something different about this weird old mannequin telling us lies with such a calm and respectable tone. Like when he said We have lowered CO2 emissions through a free market economy and fracking. Fracking? What? What are we doing here? Like Trump, when he lies, at least he doesn't do it like a career politician. He doesn't lie with that same politician cadence. He just basically lies so blatantly. And he just basically says, I'm lying. I don't care. You know why it's the truth? And why everybody else is lying is because I'm the best, I'm the greatest. At least it's entertaining. And at least when he does it, it's just like a badass, fuck it all, I'll say what I want, off-the-cuff kind of feeling when he lies. But Pence lying like this in such a, a calm, like he's trying so hard to be respectable tone, it just sounds so bad and slimy, so slimy. But also, god, it's really sad to see both parties, back to the topic of fracking, which I brought up earlier, it's so sad to see them so proudly try to defend the idea that they will continue to promote fracking. Now, for reference, per a quick Google definition here, fracking is the process of injecting liquid at a high pressure into subterranean rocks, boreholes, etc., as forced to... Open existing fissures and extract oil or gas. AKA, as you can imagine, this is very harmful for the environment. So in a year where there has been, and in a country specifically, where there's been wildfires that have caused incredible destruction for huge parts of the U.S., it's remarkable that these two absolute pieces of shit are trying to tell us to please believe in them that they're going to continue this honorable practice of fracking. Pence attacked Kamala and Biden and the Democrats for not being realistic when it comes to climate change and how to address it and how they're in favor of the Green New Deal, which they're not, which is a set of policies that are very forward thinking when it comes to protecting the environment, moving to renewable uh, fuel sources, etc., Pence was taking the conservative look that they're going to destroy jobs, they're going to go away from fossil fuel, this isn't realistic, etc. And then Kamala, instead of trying to throw any kind of bone to the true left-wing faction of the Democratic Party and support some form of climate conservation, Kamala looks into the camera like she's pleading with you to see the sincerity in her words when she said under a Joe Biden administration, there will continue to be fracking. It's so weird seeing them try to convince the voters that they're in support of a policy that is so destructive to the environment. Like, Pence literally said, we listen to the science and then in the same sentence says, we are going to continue fracking. It's just unbelievable. And overall Pence really really kept trying to run the clock out on all of the questions that he didn't feel like answering. Especially when it came to, to COVID related questions. He would literally just say, American people, like a hundred times, thank Kamala like a hundred times for some reason. Thank the moderator. Thank the American people. He would pray for people. And then magically his his time ran out. Oh well. There was just like such a pronounced lack of substance in his answers, even more than a typical politician. And so moving to Kamala overall, I think she did okay, but she could have been way more sharp at times, especially knowing her and how tenacious she is in some of these Senate hearings that she's been really making a name for herself in when she cross-examines other politicians in the government for some wrongdoings they did she's really good she's a lawyer this is what she's built for and when it came to the subject of taxes where mike pence was trying to use it as an attack towards the democrats when he said that oh the democrats are in favor of repealing these trump tax cuts that lowered the tax burden for working class people by roughly $4,000 or something like that. This is factually incorrect or maybe better said is that it's misleading because the benefits, the true realized benefits from these Trump tax cuts over a long period of time, the vast majority of the benefits are only going to the richest of the rich in the country. So this wasn't some working class tax cut that benefited only the poor or the working class this was a tax cut that genuinely fully and only benefited the richest people in the country and as expected everything trump does and anything the republicans do in general are always trying to masquerade as being for the people when they're just for the rich as expected since these benefits mainly affected large corporations and the richest people all their savings went into buying back stocks, which is a common thing that rich folks do when they have this additional cash. They don't usually invest in jobs like the conservative trickle-down economic ideology tends to always say they do. It always ends up usually being just enriching themselves through stocks, buybacks, etc. that don't end up trickling down and benefiting the working class through increased employment opportunities or better employment opportunities, rather. So going back to the debate, when Pence said that, oh, they are not in favor of keeping these Trump tax cuts that supposedly benefited the working class, Kamala didn't give any kind of data that would back up her point that those tax cuts will not benefit and are not benefiting the working class and that we are going to repeal them, but that's a good thing for the working class. Instead, she just instead she just tried to say that, no, we are not in favor of increasing the taxes on the working class. And she said that a couple times in that sincere voice looking at the camera thing that she does. Whereas she could have said that we are not going to increase taxes on them, but then also replied with a, actual stat that would say that these cuts didn't even benefit working-class people in the first place which is why we're gonna repeal it she completely allowed him to get away with framing this topic in such a dishonest way but hey she she got off some sassy memeable little frowns and facial expressions that she probably was instructed to do in the first place so focusing on policy substance nah screw it who cares right that's just how the democrats think i guess So I don't think she really was as sharp as she should have been. And overall, my key takeaways is that, you know, this debate isn't a big deal. It's questionable as to how effective or how influential even a presidential debate is. But just going on Twitter right after this debate and seeing the commentary, it was alarming. Like, because even the presidential debate, yes, people would say that Trump won or or Biden won. And it was definitely certainly polarized to an extent but even there the vast majority of people were just commenting on how much of a train wreck the debate actually was this one was alarmingly polarized there would be such a swath of people saying oh my god kamala killed pence this was not even a close fight and then the exact opposite for many other people would just say wow kamala really did horribly pence killed her it It just shows that people were just going to just indulge in their confirmation bias and follow the party and support the party and think the party that they already support won the debate. Another key takeaway I had from this is fracking. Oh my God. These parties, if you did not know it, you should know now they love fracking. They will continue to follow the science and address climate change by making it worse. So if that wasn't clear, they made that very clear. And finally my last takeaway is that our Daisy slay queen here didn't hold Pence's cold Christian feet to the fires of hell that he'll obviously be living in one day. As she let him get away with very shady framing of some of these questions and attacks and didn't and didn't break down his arguments like I expected her to do, and she also let him get away with cutting her off and not answering questions clearly. Like at one point, Pence is saying that, Oh, Kamala, you didn't answer the question, and instead of mentioning and making it clear the many five, ten, fifteen times Pence would just straight up run out the clock, and not answer at all the question that the moderator asked. Kamala wouldn't bring that up. She would just answer the question herself. And again, for people who are not really in tune with the details of politics, they'll just hear Pence say, Kamala, you didn't answer the question. And then they'll think, oh, she's dodging the question. That's not good. She's not trustworthy. She has something to hide. Kamala needed to be better in terms of the art of a debate, which is sometimes you just... Need to point out the obvious to make your opponent look bad. And she didn't do that. And overall, I think her performance was not as good as it should have been. But again, overall, I don't think this will really change the landscape of the election much at all. So that concludes what I wanted to cover for this episode 14 of QLC TV. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I really appreciate the support. I love doing this, and I can't wait to continue doing more of these episodes of QLC TV moving forward. If you want to follow me, support the podcast, please subscribe on all the podcast channels that you use, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and so on. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter, at Roview. so that's R-O-H-V-I-E-W, and shoot me a comment, send me a DM, and feel free to suggest. Whatever topic you think I should cover, whether it be some political discussion, music, etc. Or if you just wanted to send me some feedback about something that you think I should improve on or consider changing as it relates to the show, I'm definitely all ears. I wanted to start this podcast to to help myself grow, help myself uh, express myself more efficiently, more concisely, more effectively, so I'm always open to anything that I should improve on whether it be about how I deliver the show or just to criticize some horrible take that I had. I'm all ears. And I'd also like to extend an open invitation to any artist that makes music. If you want, please DM me, hit me up on Instagram, send me your music. I'd love to give you free feedback and thoughts on my opinions of your work and any other things you could maybe change to make it even better. If you're listening to this show, you know how passionate I am about music, how much I love analyzing music, and how passionate I am. I would love to be a part of your creative process to further improve your craft. And also I'd like to extend an invitation for anybody who wants to join me for a discussion on something they want to debate, whether it be a political opinion or a musical opinion. I would love to... You know, have you on the show and have an open discussion with you. I think that would be a lot of fun because you know, I I really want to connect with you guys and really foster community here at QLC TV. So thank you once again for listening. Peace. <music>